Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Happy New Year. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast Stocks kicking off the new year with a bit of a hangover, and one market pro says if things get worse, you should buy the dip. He'll tell us why straight ahead. Plus, Tesla investors living the fast lane as the uh, stock zooms to all-time highs. Should you ride this record run? And later, we're taking your tweets. That's right. We're answering your questions live on the air. It is a big market day after all. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. You might just hear from us. But we kick off the new year with a big sell-off. Stocks tumbling today with the S&P 500 dropping 1.5%. That is its worst start to the year since 2016. The selling was widespread. Risk on, risk off, work from home, reopening, everything was lower. Tech, industrials, real estate, among the sectors seeing the biggest losses. Energy was the only sector that was able to eke out a gain. And as stocks fell, investors piled into safe havens like gold, the metal jumping to its highest level in two months. So as we kick off the new year in the red, should investors brace for more pain ahead? Happy New Year, Guy. Happy New Year. In this country, we say Merry New Year. No, that's opposite. I know you don't know what that is. I'll spare you. So should they brace? Yes, but I thought they should be bracing uh, for a long time now. So I'm probably the wrong one to ask. But what I will say is this. On December 21st, uh, um, the VIX went from 21 and a half to 30, pretty much in a straight line on a day somewhat innocuous. The Dow was down about 400 or so points, uh, closed marginally poor on the day today. Same type of thing. VIX went from 21 to 29 and a half in a straight line. That's concerning because these aren't particularly huge moves in underlying equities. Um, And the fact that the VIX can move that quickly, that fast, is concerning. And oh, by the way, um, aside from the things we're going to talk about later in the show, Iran enriching their uranium and seizing, you know, South Korean oil tankers is not particularly bullish either. So there are a lot of things to be concerned about. There have been a lot of things to be concerned about. But, oh, by the way, at one point today, early, the S&P made a new all-time high. So, you know, it just goes to show you this market is impervious until it's not. I think there are a lot of things to be concerned about over the next couple of weeks. I mean, on top of Iran, as you mentioned, Guy, there's a list of reasons, market excuses, whatever you want to call them as to why the markets might pull back more restrictive or extended lockdowns in Europe. Uh, there is, of course, the Georgia runoffs, which could determine whether or not the Senate flips to a blue wave. Tim, was there anything in particular that stood out to you? It, it's, it was an interesting day. I, and look, if you think about where we just came into the new year in terms of markets and euphoria and momentum uh, and valuations, it's easy to say, hey, this would be a great place to take some profits as people assess the landscape. But I don't think that's what it was. And, and I can't believe we walked in on Monday uh, and despite some headlines over the weekend that, that there was a reassessment of a blue wave or not. I, I, those may be significant events over the weekend, but markets should and are efficient enough to have priced that in. I, you know, the move from 10.30 a.m. down to 12.30 when the semiconductors ETF, SMH, was down 3.5% in a two-hour clip, um, to me tells me it was more about new variants on the COVID uh, dynamic across Europe and South America and you know, New York upstate and, and, and where we're getting more concern uh, about this virus. Because, uh, again, the price action today, sure, for a market that was oversold, welcome to a new year, uh, a reassessment of risk, but not like we saw today. Um, and, and I look, I frankly do think 
that the dynamics in on the election front are very significant for the market. And I'm not sure uh, that we have totally priced that in. Uh, but I think today may, in fact, as I reassessed throughout the day and saw some recovery, I think a lot of this had to do with the headlines we were getting on the virus. Karen, did you enter this market day? Welcome back, by the way. It's good to have you back. Did you enter this market Thank day you. thinking, I need to reevaluate risk and, and where I am? I mean, you, you walk out at the end of every day net long. Right. No, I don't think I need to reevaluate risk. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the things that Tim talked about, I think maybe weighed some on the market, mostly being the vaccine and that couple hour window where the stock market actually went from being up 100 and change to down 700 and change. I was kind of perplexed as to why. I, we all know the virus numbers are getting are very bad. They're probably going to get worse as the Christmas, New Year holiday number of infections increases. And the rollout of the vaccine, certainly in the U.S., obviously has really gone uh, poorly. But I think all of those things will be resolved in the next couple of months and hopefully much, much sooner than that for the vaccine. So I don't know. When I step back and look at that move, we're only back to where we were in the last week or 10 days of December. So I don't think anything has changed that materially. I don't know why that happened, though. We got some economic data this morning. One number of PMI was decent. Another one was down slightly. I really don't know why it happened. But one thing did catch my eye today, and I'm not 100 percent sure what to make of it, and that is the real interest rate on the 10-year. So we all follow the 10-year closely. But when you look at the 10-year, which is made up of real interest rates and, and inflation, when you back out the inflation, the real interest rates are as negative as they have been since COVID began. So I don't know what to make of that other than sort of Fed distortions. Um, but that's, uh, one could say they expect uh, stagflation. I don't. I actually think that we'll see a very good improvement in GDP this year. Put that all together. I don't know what to make of this sell-off today. I'm not changing my strategy because of it. Bonoan, did uh, Karen's chart interest you or what else stood out to you in today's session? I mean, it, it all interests me, and a few things did stand out, right? Like, when, when I see this risk-off or half-step risk-off, there's been a few terms used to describe it. When I see essentially indiscriminate, a lack of picking and choosing, just selling, to me, yeah, it, it's hard for me to, that, that says, says panic or rational exuberance, it's hard for me to read too much into that. When I start to parse the data and I start picking and looking through specific events or specific companies, what I have seen is, like, I, I do think there is a little bit of the, of the uh, Georgia story in there when you look at renewables, when you look at cannabis. And then there's also like the whole viral effect, right? Particularly when you look at how the US has performed versus Acqui, uh, the UK, the FTSE, and some other indices, you are seeing some, some specificity to the US market. With that said, there is one day. Um, it's tough for me to read too much into that. And then when you overlay to Guy's point, what the VIX has been telling you, at the end of the day, granted, we bounced off the lows almost down 200 basis points. We closed about a percent and a half. And with the VIX close to about 30, that's in line there. So for me, it's really about kind of taking the various pieces of the puzzle, putting them together, and then reading that entire story. Story <laughs> That story in its entirety, to me, just says, listen, people just took a step back on the first day to reevaluate, but there, nothing material has really changed here for me. All right. That's good context to have, Bonoan. Um, on this first trading day of the year. We were talking about the VIX spiking today, Guy. Maybe on um, the Russell 2000 sputtering early last week was also a clue in terms of 
some of the most cyclical areas of the market maybe telegraphing that it was time to step back and, and take a little risk off the table. What other clues would you look at in tomorrow's session if you were to look ahead? What are you keeping your eye on in terms of signs that the sell-off yeah, could continue? I think Great question. I, I think the U.S. dollars, I mean, Tim sort of alluded to this, but the fact that the dollar continues to get torched every day is something you have to watch. And that comes on the heels of some of the things that Karen said. I think the market's waking up to that and saying, you know what, this isn't particularly healthy. So to me, I'm watching the dollar for sure. And two individual stocks, I think, are pretty interesting. Again, you know, we had a caller on the, on the second hour last week or the week before asking about Apple, and we talked about that 138 level being the all-time high back in September. We said that was a logical place for it to trade to and then subsequently take profits. I mean, it's not a big deal. I think it's trading 129 now, but I think that's obviously been a bellwether for the broader market. And see how the banks trade. You know, we had talked about City for a long time, 61 and a half. We gave you the math on how we got to 61 and a half. Look where it traded up to. See how the banks trade now over the next couple of days. So those three things are things that I'll be keying off of, Melissa. All right. Our next guest says today's sell-off could be just the start of something even bigger. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, Chief Market Strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to kick off the new year with you. Welcome. Thank you, Mel. Great to see you. This is sort of your playbook. You, you thought that we were due for some sort of a 5 to 10 percent pullback, that, but a longer term, you're bullish. Why is that? Why do you think the sell-off oh. will be contained? So the... A lot of people are trying to compare this to 2000. The macro backdrop is so different. Yes, valuations are stretched. Yes, tech is on a run. But the backdrop for credit money availability is off the charts. So um, our core fundamental thesis is surrounding. We have historic amounts of excess liquidity. And at the same time, we're in the beginning of a multi-year global recovery. Sometimes it just gets a little bit ahead of itself. And I think that that is evidence. I was listening to the panel. Is evidence of that. Over the last, so think about this. We're all talking about the 10-year going up towards 1%. The 10-year no yield is exactly where, actually, it's below where it was on November 4th. The cyclical sectors, of which, you know, I've favored since June, the cyclical sectors have been underperforming over the, uh, under, uh, they're below their November peaks, all of them. So industrials, financials, uh, energy and materials are still below the relative performance peaks in November. So the market's been kind of giving us a signal that it's in this churn and now it's showing up in the indices. I get the credit point and it's a valid one that you've been making for quite some time, Tony. But at a certain point, does it matter? And I understand that the various measures of credit indicate that it's, it's wide open, it's flowing, but it's only flowing to certain parts of the economy, to certain kinds of companies that are large enough. Does That's it right. matter that credit is effectively shut off for a swath of companies that live on Main Street, that employ Americans, and that there is this divide in the economy that's not necessarily showing up in those measures? I, I think it's totally horrible. Um, but from a macro, when you when you take the sum of the parts, my job is to take the sum of the parts. When you take the monetary stimulus that's coming from the Fed, when you take the fiscal stimulus that is coming fivefold, that you know five times that has come through the government, and you take the interest expense stimulus, meaning the reduction of what the interest expense to incomes or GDP or even or, or treasury receipts, when you look at those, it has been extraordinarily stimulative from a macro picture. And I, I pray that that does translate down to Main Street. Um, right now, what, what really, so Mel, what really happens is you go into an economic, in 2000, for example, you go into an economic and market problem when you have a need for money and limited access to it. And again, from a broad macro perspective, that's not the case today. It's the opposite. 
Tony, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to be with us here today. Quick question. So you mentioned sure. looking at uh, emerging markets, cyclicals, industrials, as perhaps looking as being targets um, when you're looking to kind of uh, average costs down. Would you kind of let me know what sectors you expect to, to lead us lower? Uh, we've talked ad nauseum about large cap tech, but can you kind of let us know what other areas of the market we might be looking for um, in terms of weakness in the next you know, three to six month period? Well, it's the cyclicals. So since June, small has is, been is better than large, cyclicals better than defensive, global meaning emerging markets is better than developed, and commodities are outperforming. That's what's run up, especially after we got the news on the vaccine. Those are what is evidenced by today, the sector performance there outside of energy. That's what's going to lead us into the correction. So our view has is, is, is been since November, uh, late November, to hold what you have. I, I, I think this cyclical global recovery with excess liquidity is a multi-year game. I don't think this is a one quarter or two month thing. So I want to hold what we have and just wait for a better buying opportunity, which I think is kind of dead ahead, mm -hmm. um, to add to those areas. Tony, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Tony Dwyer, Can Accord Genuity. Tim, how do you trade that? Yes. Well, I, you know, I think let's, let's stay with these uh, asset classes people have been referring to, emerging markets. We've been talking about gold. We've been talking about the dollar. Um, and, and to me, when you're looking at emerging markets and you are looking at copper, uh, you're talking about multi-year breakouts after doing nothing for, for almost a decade. And, and I think those are powerful. So those may have been some of the moves into this, but I think those are the places where you continue to have more momentum. And if you, if you look at you know, the value over growth dynamic, again, we, we probably overuse these big terms. Um, but when you think about industrials and you think about the comps on a lot of these companies coming into this year, um, I, I think they're, they're quite easy to beat. Uh, in an environment where I think we are seeing some of the cyclicality, despite the short-term headwinds uh, of where we are. So, again, big move in gold today. Uh, you can't underestimate the dollar, and that threads right back to what Karen was talking about, because there is inflation, uh, and it means real, real, real yields uh, on the 10-year are actually negative. And, and be careful for what you want with inflation, because we, we have it. Um, but it's good for all those asset classes we just mentioned. Yeah, if you're a believer in, the, uh, in, in those resource trades and in emerging markets, Bonowin, don't you, shouldn't you also be a believer in a global recovery? Uh, absolutely. I think those two things are tied hand in hand. Um, that, along with a weaker dollar, I think th those are two factors that generally bode well for emerging markets, uh, particularly in the environment that we're in now. All right. There was a big green spot that we want to get to in today's market sell-off. Check out shares of Walmart. Topping the tape up more than 1.5%. On apparently no news. So apparently in bonds, in gold, and in Walmart, the markets trust. Karen, what you make of this pop? Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess in no news in Walmart is good news. Well, there actually CNBC had a piece out today about Walmart's uh, healthcare push, and I think I'm not sure. I don't know. There was that news today about the, you know, with uh, great flourish, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire, and Amazon announced that mm -hmm. healthcare initiative three years ago and sort of quietly disbanded it now. That's better for anyone potentially competing with that. Maybe that's what it was. Also, Walmart has, you know, the, the sort of uh, the worst of COVID was good for, for Walmart. So maybe with the resurgence in cases, maybe that was it. I like Walmart still sticking with it for the long term. Yeah. Guy? I think that's exactly right. I think that Buffett news, Buffett, uh, JP Morgan news was a big deal. And I think Walmart wins to that. And Karen's right. The fact that it appears as though things are getting worse again, obviously, we talked about what's happening in London. 
I think it plays right into Walmart's strengths. 153.66, I think, was the prior all-time high, and that's right in the crosshairs. So I think Walmart goes higher from here. All right, coming up, you've got questions. We've got some answers. Our traders break down their top tips on how to navigate today's sell-off. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. You might just get your question answered live on the air. But first, some late-breaking developments on the coronavirus crisis. England announcing it's going back into a total lockdown as cases continue to surge worldwide. The full details when Fast Money returns. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following some late breaking news out of the UK. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson imposing a national lockdown in England as coronavirus cases continue to grow. Meg Terrell joins us now with the details. Meg. Hi, Melissa. Well, this uh, more severe lockdown across the UK coming as there are major concerns about this more contagious uh, variant there uh, that has really taken over. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying it could be 50 to 70 percent uh, more transmissible. And you can see in the daily case counts in the UK uh, that while they did have some stricter uh, measures throughout November, uh, they brought their case counts down. You see that coming down. And then when they lifted them, really coming up incredibly sharply there. Um, so that is what they are trying to control now with this lockdown. Uh, meanwhile, they just started administering the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine today, and they say they hope, if all goes well, that they'll be able to get the first shot uh, to everybody in their top four priority groups by mid-February. Um, so they are moving uh, quickly there. Here in the United States, uh, we are not going as fast as had been hoped. Uh, 15.4 million doses of coronavirus vaccine have been distributed. 4.6 million people have received their first shot. That's just less than 30 percent. Uh, and so we are hearing from health officials who are frustrated about this, but still saying that they expect that pace to start to pick up in the coming weeks as these systems start to get worked out. At the same time, they're talking about different strategies to try to increase the supply of COVID vaccines, whereas in the UK, they have spaced out the doses to as much as 12 weeks for both the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccines. Even though in the Pfizer trial, it was only tested three weeks apart. That's in order to get more first doses to more people. People. Uh, here in the United States, Monsef Slawi from Operation Warp Speed has talked about the idea of giving a half dose of the Moderna vaccine, two half doses for people ages 18 to 55, because he says clinical trial data shows they generate the same immune response with 50 micrograms as with 100 micrograms. So that could dramatically increase supply, but only if the company and the FDA, most importantly, agree. Mel? Uh, the news about the, the half doses of Moderna is certainly good news, Meg, but I'm wondering if there is also the clinical data to back up what the U.K. is doing in terms of spacing out the first and the second dosages and whether or not that could actually impact efficacy of the vaccine. 
We don't know. So the Pfizer uh, trials only tested the doses being given 21 days apart. Now, uh, people who are who know the vaccine world uh, well say that it's expected that spacing out the doses more does actually increase the immunogenicity, uh, the immune response that you get from the vaccine. But we don't know because we haven't seen it in this trial. And so that's what a lot of folks in this space are concerned about, just that they haven't seen the science on this. Uh, and they're kind of doing an experiment over there without knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, keeping on top of all the developments for us. Uh, in terms of the trade in today's session, as we mentioned at the top, a lot of work from home stocks, they fell alongside uh, reopening stocks. Uh, Bono, I don't know what you made of it. I mean, maybe only Zoom finished higher by almost 7% today, uh, but it had fallen basically in the 10 days prior to today's session. Yeah, great context there. I was going to mention Zoom as well, but keeping in mind how it has traded uh, in the recent past. Again, I feel like the baby was kind of thrown out with the bathwater here. Yes. It, do we have some risk to the downside? Sure. But we've all, we already have a playbook for what works in and out of a pandemic situation, and we weren't seeing that enacted today. I would expect that playbook to kind of be reenacted and to be the pathway forward once we get a little bit more um, information. Yeah. Guy? It's interesting. I think Zoom is a great tell. I'm glad you brought that up. And Bonowin sort of, uh, you know, he spoke to it at greater length. What I'll tell you is in terms of the pharma names, we thought, listen, I never thought Moderna would get to 178 (laughs) or wherever traded to. But we had the Jeffries analyst on, I believe, on December 16th or 17th. Uh, I think the price was around 145 or so. And I thought there was a very good chance it would trade back to the prior all-time high, which was 98. It got pretty close uh, late last week. You know, maybe Moderna is worth another look just off that major sell-off. And Pfizer, uh, which got up to 43, I believe, on the back of their announcement four or five Mondays ago, is now at levels where on valuation at 36, it makes sense. The one name that I think you should continue to watch, and I think it's going to trade back to its prior all-time high of 121 from February, is Medtronic, MDT. All right. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Investors have Georgia on their minds. What are the key issues at stake and how will they impact markets? Those details next. And Tesla continues to charge up. Is this stock unstoppable? That electric trade ahead. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks tumbling on Wall Street today as investors turn their attention to Georgia. Two key Senate run, runoffs wrapping up tomorrow, and the outcome could have a major impact on the markets. Let's get to Elon Moy with the very latest. Elon. 
Well, Melissa, President-elect Joe Biden just wrapped up a drive-in rally with the two Democratic candidates, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. He repeatedly brought up those $2,000 stimulus checks, and he said that Democratic control of the Senate is essential to ending gridlock and turning those checks into reality. Their election will put an end to the block in Washington, that $2,000 stimulus check, that money that will go out the door immediately, tell people who are in real trouble. Now, Democrats do hold an edge in the polls, but they are still well within the margin of error. And over the past two months, Republicans have been outspending Democrats on advertising, $273 million to $219 million. The GOP has also gotten a last-minute boost from some big-name financial donors. Our colleagues over at CNBC.com combed through the federal election records, and some of the names that they found include John Paulson, Randall Nodoni of Fortress, each of whom donated $2,800 to Senator Perdue. Edward Mule of Silver Point Capital also gave him $5,600. You can read that full story by Brian Schwartz up on the website at CNBC.com. But, Melissa, these are already the most expensive races in history, and early voting turnout is all also shattering records. Back to you. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy, and potentially a lot at stake. This could mean the difference between gridlock, which the markets in general view as a good thing, and a blue wave. Karen, for a long time, you said that the markets you didn't think were pricing in the possibility of a blue wave and what that could mean in terms of policy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, it, I think the most likely outcome would be a split, one of each. So, that sort of leaves you in gridlock unless you have a moderate senator move over. But I think that even if Democrats win both seats, I think the knee-jerk reaction would initially be down because of fear of taxes going up. But I think further interpretation would maybe show, okay, the chance of an infrastructure bill would be higher. So that's going to be some good for something like a United Rentals. But uh, I, I, don't, I also don't know if we'll know tomorrow night. Who knows? This could drag on longer. It could take days. Let's talk about the market impact of the Georgia vote. Joining us on the fast line is Dan Clifton, head of policy research at Strategus Research Partners. Uh, Dan, good to have you with us. From talking to people, what do you think investors are pricing in right now? What scenario? Yeah, I mean, for most of the cycle coming out of the November election, investors had been placing a 70, 80 percent probability of the Republicans keeping the Senate. And you've seen that really start to tumble over the last week, and then you'd see it very pronounced today. I tend to look at it differently than just the overall S&P 500 level. I know that we saw some weakness on that today, it's higher taxes pricing, but you've got to really look at the stocks that are most levered to the policy outcomes of having a Republican or a Democratic Senate with a Biden administration. Karen just talked about some of those different policy issues there. And you saw it today. You saw defense stocks really significantly underperforming, but you saw renewable energy stocks positive on the day. That's an indication that investors are starting to reprice. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's somewhere still where the Republicans are slightly favored in the equity market. But the betting odds are giving this a 50-50 probability, meaning that it's a coin toss of which party is going to control the Senate. This is enormously important for the policy outcome and for how the Biden administration is going to move forward. I think Karen got it correct. If the Democrats win, you are going to get a big stimulus. You're going to get those $2,000 checks that Biden talked about, uh -huh. and you're going to get climate and infrastructure spending. But you still have to deal with tax increases and the earnings impact that will have in 2022 and 2023. And if the Republicans win, you don't get that stimulus, right. but you 
get none of the tax increases either. And so there's a little bit of there, something there for everybody, depending on what the election result is. Sure. And I want to talk about the scenario in which there is a blue wave, Dan, because I think that's what the market fears the most. It's, it's right. not an it's we're, we're we don't root for either outcome. But from nope. the market perspective, um, they don't want a blue wave. Let's talk about the tax bucket, because mm-hmm. even if 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 Georgia hands the Democrats two more seats, It's not a wide margin at all. What are the chances that corporate tax breaks or corporate tax uh, cuts get rolled back or that individual taxes and or capital gains get increased? Yeah, I I don't want to underestimate your you're going to have a very narrowly divided House and a very narrowly divided Senate. I know we're talking about the Senate today. But in 2000, we had the identical makeup with the George W. Bush administration, a 50-50 Senate, a very razor-thin House majority. He was able to get significant policy accomplishments, including a $1.3 trillion tax cut, and he got No Child Left Behind. He also got an increase in defense spending. So I do believe that the Democrats, through a budget reconciliation process, will be able to get an additional trillion or trillion and a half of new government spending on renewable energy and infrastructure, health care and education funding, maybe even some money for state governments. And if you do that, Melissa, there's a chance to include a, a number of tax increases as well in that fiscal bill, which would be an increase in the top marginal income tax rate, possibly an increase in the corporate tax rate, but it may not go into effect until 2022, and then possibly a 25% capital gains and dividend tax increase as well. You know, I wouldn't put, you know, 100% probability on those tax increases being included, given the economic environment. But Democrats are trying to solve for income inequality. They really don't need this as a revenue raiser. And so they would justify raising these taxes as helping cure income inequality. And it's been a very, very top priority of the president-elect Biden himself. So, Dan, Tuesday goes into Wednesday, and Wednesday, you know, historically, we just have things that are formalities, and Wednesday's supposed to be, but that's the yep. day, I guess, the electors cast their votes. Eleven senators, I've been told and I've read, yep. have already said that they're going to challenge the results. Eleven senators. Uh, somewhat unprecedented, I think. Is the market pricing that in, or is that just theater? You know, so it could be, you know, a two-hour debate, and it could be over. I think where the market starts to get concerned about a contested election is if you have some event that happens after uh, Wednesday's events. Biden will be certified as the president on Wednesday by the Congress. It is a formality. But if you had something like the Defense Department go and take the voting machine, something that every uh, defense secretary warned against in a letter yesterday, Republican and Democrat defense secretary warned against, that would be much more problematic for the equity market. Again, that's a very low probability event, so I don't want to say, hey, this is what's coming. But it seems to me that if you have an event that challenges the election or delays the inauguration after Wednesday, that would be problematic for the market. I think for now the market's focused on Georgia and what the impact of that could be, particularly since it was not pricing in for the last month and a half, and now investors are grappling with the idea that the Democrats could actually have control of the Senate given the events that have happened over the last week in the polling and the early voting results. Hey, Dan, it's Tim. So to that, uh, I I know this is probably our job, but I ask you, uh, you said there's something in there for everyone, fiscal weighed against tax increases. But look, the the multiplier effect from tax increases or the impact of that is much greater than one-off fiscal. Uh, And I I, I guess I don't think equities are pricing that in. Yeah, no, I agree. And you can look at what we call, you know, the companies with the highest tax rates. 
those companies are not pricing in that those tax rates are going to be raised sometime next year. So there's a lot of downside risk within those thematic plays. Companies that have a lot of international income could be facing a doubling of their international tax. That affects technology and biotech companies. They're going to face the risk. And, Tim, if you want to think about a universal way of this political environment, is that Biden is going to change trade policy, and he doesn't need Congress to do that. That's manifesting itself through the weaker dollar. Companies with a lot of foreign revenue exposure, whether that's semiconductors or even some industrials and materials, they've been the key outperformers here. And I think the dollar is going to continue to weaken, regardless of what happens in Georgia. Georgia just may add to that trade itself. And so we've been trying to identify those types of trades that could occur regardless of what happens in Georgia. And I think the weaker dollar is that story that, 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 that kind of leads us to the conclusion, yeah. uh, irregardless of this. Once you get into tax increases, though, that starts to become a 2022 and 2023 earnings hit, and that's going to have to then be discounted in the market. And we're not there yet. Yeah. Dan, great to speak with you. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Dan Clifton, Strategus. Uh, Karen, do you change how you think about this? I mean, Dan said, Fiscal stimulus is, is almost a, for, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but likely to happen under a Democratic wave. Um, and that would mean an even weaker dollar than what we have right now, potentially. Would that offset how you think about higher corporate taxes, which Dan is saying does have a chance, despite the razor-thin margins in both the House and the Senate, should, uh, should uh, Democrats win Georgia? Yeah, they do. There is a chance. I also I think the chance is low in the short term, but I also think that taxes wouldn't go back to where they were. That would be just to, to that 28. I don't think they would go back that high. But the weaker dollar does make me think I should probably have some more emerging markets exposure. By the way, we've got much more on what is at stake for the markets in the Georgia runoffs. Head on over to our website, cnbc.com slash pro, to check it out. Up next, buckle up for this one. Tesla delivering a record number of vehicles in the fourth quarter. Fenia stock to new highs will bring you that trade ahead, plus shipping away. Micron down today, but it's been on a tear over the past three months. I'll tell you how our traders are playing this name into earnings later this week. All that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Tesla surging to a new all-time high today after the EV maker said it delivered a record number of vehicles during the fourth quarter. But as Tesla soared, another player in the EV space hit the skids, QuantumScape plunging 40%. Let's get right to Phil LeBeau, who just spoke exclusively with the company's CEO. Phil. Melissa, when you talk with Jagdeep Singh, who is the CEO, the founder of QuantumScape and the CEO, he's pretty clear that there are no material changes. Not just clear, he's emphatic. There are no material changes to the business for QuantumScape. And he still believes that what they showed on December 9th, when they said, here's our battery technology, our solid state lithium metal battery technology we're developing, that it still is a game changer. Here he is just talking to us last hour. If we can get this into the market, and which is the task we're currently focused on, you're wrapping up production, you know, making these multi-layer cells, uh, we absolutely believe we can get a really big share of the market. And if we do that, uh, then um, investors will be well taken care of. And that's really all we can control is the long-term uh, value creation. Jagdeep Singh talking to us exclusively last hour. 
While QuantumScape was plunging today, shares of Tesla keep chugging higher. This after the company reported over the weekend its Q4 and 2020 vehicle delivery totals. Now, for the fourth quarter, Tesla reported a record number of quarterly deliveries, more than 180,000, 90% of them being the Model 3 or the Model Y. Here's the number that a lot of people were focused on. It's the bar on the far right. That is the final number for 2020, coming in at 499,550 vehicles. Now, there are people out there, Melissa, who are saying, wait a second, they, they targeted a half million. They didn't hit their delivery guidance. That's less than one-tenth of one percent, less than that that they fell short. I think essentially they hit their target of delivering a half million. By the way, the consensus on FactSet, among analysts, they believe that they will deliver at least 787,000 vehicles, but we won't get their guidance until they report their Q4 financials three or four weeks from now. Phil, just a quick question on QuantumScape, which went public via SPAC, what, back in November or so. Were there fundamental changes to the business when when the stock went up tenfold? (laughs) to 130-something and change? You mean fundamental changes in terms of what they plan to do in terms of rolling out Right, exactly, their technology, any developments, any... Okay. No, no. Now, now you will hear people, and it's not hard to find them online, who are saying, well, look, they've had a release uh, in terms of some of their shares. They filed an S-1 last week. But all of that was known. It's not like there was some new information that came out and people said, whoa, where did this come from? I think this speaks to the broader question, Melissa, that you and I have discussed in the past, which is this stock ran so far, so quickly, that it was due to come back. And then the momentum on the upside became momentum on the downside. Absolutely. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. Uh, Bono, and I don't know where you want to go with this. I mean, I asked Phil that question because I was trying to get at what actually powered that stock higher, and it sounded like not that much except for momentum in the market. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm on the wrong show, but do I get a lifeline? I mean, this is really a tell of uh, two cities here. Um, you know, it's a situation where, listen, if we, if we roll back the clock a few years back or even several quarters back, we're looking at Tesla. We all sat up and spoke about the speculative nature of the trading and how it was trading the options of stock, et cetera. And you're seeing the same thing in QS. And this is literally why most of us, I think literally unanimously across the table, we have pounded the table and said, listen, when you've doubled or tripled and you see these massive runs in names, you have to take some chips off the table because it's prudent risk, risk management. At this early early stage of a company, it's really about your trading and your risk management and prudence rather than it is picking a top or bottom or price target. Um, I think that's really the walkaway point from this all. Yeah. You know, uh, Guy, when I think of the massive run that Tesla's had, I think of Kathy Wood of ARK Invest, ARK Innovation ETF, one of the top performing non-leveraged ETF, if not the top performing, in 2020. And she has been on this show and talked about how she trades around the position because from a portfolio management perspective, it is prudent to do so. And you got to wonder what the play is at this point. What do you think the play is with Tesla at this point? We've had her on a number of times. Mm -hmm. We've asked her that question because that's the pushback against her is if you're so bullish, why do you sell it? And she's answered it exquisitely a number of times. So good for her. And I I got it to as far as I can tell, in terms of that stock, there's nobody better in terms of the analysis. And one thing I've said for a while, and again, I don't pretend to understand Tesla, but I've been saying it since the spring, you stay with it. If you're looking for a reason to take profits or take money off the table, if you're looking for a metric or catalyst, I think it's going to come in the form of volume in the shares. Tesla's been trading about 40 million shares a day-ish. If you see about 130 million share a day on a massive move higher, 
that's your key to maybe pull the ripcord and take some money off the table. That's my metric. And the thing about QS, I mean, forget about the fact that it went, uh, you know, as a SPAC at, what was it, $10 in November. This stock from December 7th-ish went from 50 to 138 I think, back to 50 And I only mention that because this isn't a, you know, billion-dollar company. I think this is still a $15 billion market cap company. It's staggering these moves, and it speaks to something much broader in terms of some of the um, potential hiccups for this stock market, in my opinion. Yeah. It's $18 billion, if you can believe it. $18 billion. Karen, 18 quickly. Billion. Yeah. Karen, quickly. Yeah. yeah. Can I just add one thing? on mm-hmm. Ka- uh, Kathy obviously has been right for so long on this, but I'm wondering if the amount of inflows that she's had actually make her a buyer, regardless of price, uh-huh. to get back up That's to whatever point. percentage she wants to have of Tesla, not a seller. Good point there. Coming up, we're tackling all of our questions about today's, your questions about today's sell-off. If you're wondering what to do next, we've got your back. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll try and answer you live on air. But first, when the chips are down, it's time to get bullish. We'll tell you about the big bet we spotted today in the options market. Stay with us. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Semi-stocks eking out a gain in the sell-off, but ending well off their highs of the day. Bonwin spotted some unusual activity in the options market on one key name that's reporting earnings later this week. Bonwin, what'd you see? Well, thanks, Bonwin. So, so, yeah, taking a look at Micron, what you see is calls outpacing puts about 3 to 1 after being as high as 4 to 1 earlier in the session. If you take it a step further and look at the implied volatility, options are implying about a 9% move in either direction between now and the end of January X re. Compare that with about a 5% move over the last four quarters, but much more in line with what we've seen over about the last eight quarters. And, this, and the trade that really stuck out to me, about 10,000 of the Micron Jan 85 calls traded about 85 cents, putting your break even about 85, 85, or about 15% higher than where we currently are. Momentum trade, the thing moves on earnings, but that's about a 15% move there. I expect this to be a trading position over the next two weeks. All right. For more options action, we are back on Friday with the full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. See you then. Coming up, if you are trying to figure out how to navigate today's big sell-off, we've got some answers for you. We're taking your questions next, so tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, kicking off the new year with a big sell-off, the Dow dropping nearly 400 points. So if you're wondering what to do next, we've got your back. We're tackling some of your questions, so here's our first. Hey, Fast Money. John here from Connecticut. I'm a big fan of the show. I've been in GE since late May. After today's big sell-off, should I look to sell my gains now, or should I hold on for the long run? Good question. Tim, what do you tell John? Hey, John, uh, first of all, thanks for watching the show. Happy New Year. And in GE, you've nailed this trade since May. Uh, The stock's been a rocket um, for two reasons. One, uh, they've improved the balance sheet. Remember, GE paid down $16.5 billion in 2020. Uh, They also settled with the SEC in December. So uh, many, many problems here to talk about. But a lot of it had been around balance sheet urgency. And it's a company that actually generated $2.5 billion in industrial free cash flow in the fourth quarter. I think you stay in this trade. I am long this name. Uh, I don't think it gets away from me on the upside, but I do think there are drivers. Karen, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, uh, thanks for watching, John. Good, good for you for buying it there. That's an excellent trade. But I'm thinking if you are in it for the long term, and you seem to be because you've been in it for a while, 
If it's down 33 cents, that's it, you're done. I mean, if you're in it for the long term, and as Tim thinks they've really turned it around, wouldn't you kind of feel stupid if you sold it because it was down 33 cents? I would, but I'm, I'm more of a long-term investor. Yeah, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's good perspective, Karen, that's for sure. Uh, let's get to a question that we've got on the restaurant stocks. Hey, everyone. My name is Alessandro. I'm from New York. My question for you all today is about restaurant stocks. Uh, most have outperformed in 2020, especially Darden, QSR. Uh, my question for you is, is there more room to run in these stocks? And if so, do we stick with Darden and QSR, or can we go into riskier names like Brinker and Blumen? Thanks. Have a great day. Quite a run we've seen in these. Uh, Guy, what do you say? QSR is interesting, Alessandro. Thanks for watching. I think I think City just initiated today with the buy rating $74 price target. If Louise Yamada, the great Louise Yamada, was on, she'd say the longer in space, the higher in out of space or something like that. I mentioned that because the stock's been going sideways since June. So that's actually poised, I think, to go the next leg higher. Blumen Brands is one that if you want to play in the deep end of the pool, looking for a short covering rally, that's interesting. But the standby had a big day to the downside today, CMG. I still think that's the big winner in the entire space. The longer the base, the higher in space are you, Louise yeah, Umada's like famous that. words. Uh, Bonwin, your, your take on restaurants. Yeah, I like the DRI. DRI. Listen, I'm not one to fight trends. It's still up and to the right. I would kind of hold it. I think uh, that 105-ish level is probably where you would want to look to see if it breaks trend. Other than that, I think uh, it's worked so far. I would continue. All right. Thanks for sending all your questions, guys. Keep, uh, keep them coming. Up next, we've got your final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen. Yes, I just want to clarify something to John in Connecticut. I did not mean to imply in any way your question was stupid. Not at all. You've done a great trade here from May to 11. It's 100% return. What I meant was have a little perspective of being down 33%. doesn't really change the story. Anyway, final trade, CVS on the dis- disbanding of the Amazon Berkshire uh, J.T. Morgan healthcare endeavor. Tim. Nice job, John. Uh, Walmart, uh, also doing a nice job, especially in their technology and their digital initiatives, trading at 25 times 22. Uh, the stock's not expensive, and I think the valuation continues to re-rate. Bono in. The options market has been telling you it's been heading upwards the last couple of weeks. SLV. Guy Adami. Wasn't Alessandro like a Lady Gaga song or something? Is that right? Am I missing something? Karen, I think that was, was I one don't of know. her great I have no numbers. Idea. Yeah, definitely. I have all her material. Big, big fan, as you know. She's a fan of the show, by the way. Uh, Lady G, you should come on one night. Medtronic, I think, trades back up to that prior all-time high, 121 and change, Mel. Alejandro was the song, I'm told. Uh, thanks for watching Fast Mad Money starts right now. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.